Welcome to All About Audio Podcast, where we discuss topics relevant to audio industry professionals. I'm your host, Sean Chapman. Each month, I will interview audio professionals to bring you tips and advice for working in audio or starting your own business. This month, I sat down with professor and vice president of the Audio Engineering Society, Gabe Herman, to speak about audio post-production for film and TV and how the AES can benefit audio engineers. So yeah, hey Gabe, thanks for coming on today. Appreciate it, uh, taking taking the time. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what is it that you do in the audio world? Sure. Um, so I'm an audio uh, educator. I'm a professor of music production technology at the Hart School at the University of Hartford. Uh, I'm also an engineer and composer, uh, producer, and sound designer for film and television, and I have a company called Audio Gabriel, uh, where I do all kinds of audio post-production for film and TV, but also music production stuff. I work a little bit around uh, studios in the New England area, uh, mostly um, working uh, in post from, uh, from my headquarters studios in, in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut. But I, I work in a lot of other tracking facilities in, in the area. Yeah, and I'm an uh, uh, elected leader of the Audio Engineering Society, so I uh, I'm the vice president of uh, East Coast and uh, of the United States and Canada. And I'm also the uh, co-chair of the AES Education Committee. Cool. Um, can you tell people who are listening, what is the Audio Engineering Society and how does it benefit audio engineers? Oh, I'd love to, yeah. The Audio Engineering Society is the only official society for audio engineers and producers and sound designers uh, in the world. It's a global institution. Uh, there's, I think, about 12,000 members. We have members in every continent uh, in the world except for Antarctica, because no one lives in Antarctica. But yeah, it's, it's really an amazing place. It's a society that covers all the different areas of audio. Uh, we have machine learning and AI research. We have standards and technical committees, which set up standards for audio protocols. You, you may recall the AES-EBU cable. Uh, digital cable is a standard that was set by the Audio Engineering Society, thus the AES moniker. We have car audio and automotive audio, automotive audio rather. Uh, we have uh, post-production and sound for film, represented live sound, uh, gaming sound, and of course the, the P&E wing, producers and engineers uh, who make all the, the classic records. We have gear manufacturers. So it's really like it's a society where if you're at all interested in audio, there's a whole sub-universe of folks who are connected, uh, who go to conventions and write papers and share their knowledge and experiences. And the whole idea is that we, we're, better, we're better together than we are alone. And uh, with audio especially, I think it's very easy to feel like you're kind of up your own creek, doing your own thing in a vacuum, uh, mm -hmm. especially if you're in a studio and you're sitting by yourself all the time. So it's really great to have a way to expand your network and get out and meet other people in your area, but then also be able to come together for national conventions and get a picture of what's happening on a more national level. And then go to the international conventions where you can see what's happening on a global level and uh, who else is out there doing what you're doing. So it's really an important part of, um, of my professional practice uh, as I've evolved in, in my career. AS has played a large role. And I think it's a really great resource for anybody who's just getting into it as well. Very cool. Um, sorry to jump topics a little bit, but okay. tell me a little bit about just looking at your info online uh, about working on the Like Me documentary. That looked fun. Yeah, yeah. So that was a great doc. It's about a comedian, uh, an actor who 
is curious to know more about how social media works. And um, so he started calling up all his friends who are also actors and comedians and asking them, Hey, how do you, what do you know about this? Like, what do you, what do you do? And um, at the same time, he's sort of battling some personal issues and um, the way social media can be really revealing about you on a personal level. I think it was kind of a meta documentary and that he also was letting in a lot of personal stuff. Um, but it was really cool to just hear different people's perspectives, um, learning about how Todd Berry thinks about tweeting. You know, it's such a big part of comedy, right? Is tweeting. Uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, thinking, listening to Janine Garofalo talk about how she's not into it, you know, the anti part of it was really great. But it's, it's always fun working on documentaries as a post-sound person because you learn a lot, A, about the subjects you're, you're working on. Uh, but there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of, like, noises and... Um, uh, challenging audio, I'll say, that has to be cleaned up. Uh, so it was great, but it was a great, it, it was a, a good score. So the music was fun to work on. Um, the subject matter was interesting to me. And, uh, and yeah, man, who doesn't love, you know, hearing people talk about social media? It's, uh, it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, I'm a fan of some of the comedians in that, like Maria Bamford, Jim oh, Gaffigan. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's cool to hear them talk about that stuff. And, and it's cool to see them talk about it as, uh, from a documentary perspective when they're not being comedians. Sometimes you don't hear comedians being people. But you know, I, I will say, like having spent a lot of time with comedians, they're some of the smartest, most educated, and on-the-nose people you'll ever hang out with. And uh, you know, Todd Berry may seem, or Jim Gaffigan may seem like he's a silly guy who makes fun of you know, this or that, but they think really deep about stuff. So they're, they're a great hang, you know? Um, how did you end up getting into doing audio post-production for uh, film and TV? That I did on purpose. <laughs> Music I didn't do on purpose. It was on purpose and also a little bit uh, by happenstance. So I, my, when I first started my professional career, I was a performing artist. I was a guitar player and um, made my living as a, as a professional musician. And um, I decided after spending a few years going that route that I needed a change in my life. I didn't like the touring thing. I didn't like uh, staying up really, really late and hauling around heavy amplifiers and being on tour all the time and never really settling down and meeting anybody that I could develop long-term relationships with. And, um, you know, I, I love the playing part, but the lifestyle bit was a bit much for me, just personal taste. Kind of. It wasn't, wasn't a gel. Um, and so I had an opportunity to go back to college and earn a second degree. And I thought I wanted to jump out of music altogether and and do something different. And so I decided I'd go to the Savannah college of art and design to study graphic design. And I got accepted with a scholarship and I was excited to go. And then the first day I got there, I went to see my advisor when right before classes started. And they said, you know, we noticed that your background in music and a musician, we have this brand new degree in sound design for film and television. Would you like to be in the first class of that and we'll, we'll transfer your scholarship and everything. Like, oh yeah. Okay. Well, that's sort of like audio graphic design. I'll do that. Sure. Cool. And uh, yeah, it was really fun. And uh, so I, I, I got it, my bachelor's, my, my fine arts and sound design for film and TV and uh, started working on films and learning about the film stuff. And so, you know, naturally by the time I graduated, I had several clients that I was working with and simultaneously, I was making all my extra money since I was a student in dirt poor by teaching guitar lessons and still playing shows at night. So it was kind of like a hellacious four years of like going to class all day, doing film shoots on the weekends and uh, then playing out, you know, three or four nights a week. Um, it was pretty intense. Yeah. That sounds, yeah. Intense. It sounds like the right word. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, I'm a glutton for punishment. 
Um, <laughs> but what was great about it was that I was hanging out with all these musicians and making musician friends, right? And they were like, hey, man, you know how to use the tech stuff. Uh, and you're a musician, so we trust you. So would you do our demo or would you do our, our record or EP? So I started developing like an e- even amount of music and, and post. And, and that, was, that was all by accident. Um, and then when I moved to Boston after that to start my studio, uh, a commercial space, um, that's when it really started to push a little bit more in the, in the music side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, today, I'd say I probably do 80% music and 20% film and post. But uh, it changes, you know, certain years it can swing any direction. Um, there have been years where I'm working on several different TV shows at once or uh, films or something like that. Um, but not as much music. So I hope that kind of gives the background, I guess. I hope that's somehow useful or interesting to your yeah, listeners. I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, we probably yeah. have a- we just try to do what we want to do in this world, but sometimes the universe has other plans for us. Right. Yeah. At least if you can like uh, start in the direction that you want and yeah, where you end up is not always up to you, of course, but that sounds, that sounds great. And I took a look at your uh, CV and it's quite extensive. Can you tell us about one of the projects that you've worked on in your life that you've are especially proud of? Uh, Yeah. You know, I'm proud of all of them. They're all just like been, been so much fun to work on. I really um, am blessed in that I've, I've really been able to work on some really, really great stuff. I have a hard time thinking about this because uh, none of them, none, n- not any one of them encapsulates all that I do or that I'm excited about. But uh, there were certainly some, some, some really awesome sessions. I mean, I remember one record in particular that will always be really special to me is my, uh, my friend Matt Reeves. Uh, as a faculty member here at the Hart School, and he was a bass player in Jackie McLean's band, but he's played with a lot of famous jazz musicians, and he's an incredible musician in his own right, like outstanding, uh, top-tier musician. And he's just such a sweet, nice guy. And uh, it, was, it was great. We, we, he never did a record for himself of his own, you know, where he was the star. He's always the backup musician for somebody else who's a legend, right? But I thought he needed his own record um, because he's just so good. So it was great to get some, some funding and, uh, and we charted out um, studio, went to the power station in New England. And I forget what the year was. I think it might've been 2009 or something like that. And uh, it was just a great hang. It was one of these magical things where we booked the hotel next door. And that night, a ginormous snowstorm came in. And uh, literally it was like, we had to walk backwards. No, no joke. We had to walk backwards from the hotel to the studio. Uh, but once we were in there, we were snowed in and the whole world just got quiet. And for like a magical 24 hours, we just were cutting some of this, this amazing record. Uh, it's called State of Emergency. Um, I highly recommend it. And, um, you know, I'm really proud of the playing that, that, that Matt did and, and his, the band did. Uh, some really great players on that. Uh, Josh Bruno, great sax, uh, trumpet player. Jonathan Barber, an amazing drummer. Uh, and, you know... Rick Germanson, wow, what a keyboard, what a piano player, man, amazing. And it was just like, you know, one of these magical sessions where I just let the tape run and, and uh, just magic was happening. So that, that's one where I just feel like it was really, really great. Cool. So, yeah, so the snowstorm kind of set the tone, I guess, for having a cozy session. Yeah, yeah. You know, the world gets quiet when it snows, and that's true for electronic equipment and stuff. And the fact that we were already kind of out of the city and sort of tucked away in this quiet little New England town and... um beautiful studio with great resources and you know where we were insulated we had we almost we walked in backwards and then time stopped for us for like a day 
And then when we came back out again, it was like, holy crap, you know, just the whole world was struggling with all these things. And we were coming off on a high, you know, you know having cut this great, this great record. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's sort of one of those magical moments that I probably won't forget forever. But yeah, check out the record. It's really, it's a really great record. I will. That's why we got the. It's why how it got its name, State of Emergency. It was, it was recorded during the State of Emergency. So we're in a pandemic. Obviously, this is a state of emergency. I wonder. You know, a lot of people are writing albums right now. I kind of imagine there will be some pretty great music coming out in the next year or so. Yeah, you know what would be really exciting to see is what happens with live music. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you think about all these records that are being written right now. And, uh, you know, the way we used to deal with records is we'd have to go out and tour them. Once they're done, you got to promote them somehow. And here we are not able to promote or any of these, these great records. So, you know, once the floodgates get opened up again and we can all go out and perform, um, that's going to make it just an absolutely bananas year for great shows. I mean, the, the tour schedule is going to be robust. And, you know, the irony is that half the venues have shut down. You know? I know like, that, you know, especially the smaller so, ones. Yeah, the indie venues where you get like the most intimate stuff. So it's yeah. the question will be like, well, how is it going to be like South by Southwest, where like every coffee shop and gas station becomes a venue and to 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 meet need and you know, like, do we go back to the the Washerama venue where you go launder your clothes and catch a set? You know? Yeah, there might be a rise in in kind of the the DIY venues. Um, yeah there'll definitely be a need for it. So yeah, you'd mentioned the audio educators podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh yeah. I love this. So this has been really fun for me. So um, this is a podcast that I started with my uh, friend and colleague, Dan Fox, uh, who teaches uh, at Tufts. Uh, but um, he's also spent years and years as a director of education and um, actually director of, I don't, I don't know what his Directed of, he's the grand guru of all awesome creative media things. That's the title <laughs> I think of him. At this place called Zoomix in Boston, which is this really crazy, awesome uh, after-school teen program that's uh, built inside of a, an old firehouse, like Ghostbusters style. Oh, that's so cool. They're doing like a stage and a radio station, and they've got a studio in there. And so kids go there and they take music lessons and they learn about the arts after school. That's great. But, oh yeah, it's an amazing space. So. Dan has this amazing experience as an educator working with teens and, uh, and I've been teaching college for a long time. So the audio educators podcast is our, um, is our chance to get together and just, just shoot the shit about education and what's happening in education, but, uh, also inviting some of our favorite educators on to talk about, you know, how they think about education topics and pedagogy because, you know, audio education itself is becoming more and more of its own profession. Um, it's, you know, those of us who used to be engineers and producers, would end up teaching maybe eventually in their career, but there's a lot of folks now who are going straight into education, you know, instead of uh, going into the profession. And for me, I started teaching the same time I started working professionally or really early on pretty close. So education has always been a large part of what I do. And so I felt like there just wasn't a place for us to talk about what education and audio education is really all about. And what are some of the issues and problems that, that are coming up in our areas Respected to how it fits in regular curriculums, but uh, I also just love talking to other educators about what tricks they have or cool techniques they have. Um, so uh, yeah, I encourage everyone to check out the Audio Educators podcast, and um, if they're interested in audio education, hearing what some really big nerds like us have to say about—I um, should say—they're much cooler nerds than us. 
uh, <laughs> what they have to say about audio education. Cool. Yeah, I'll definitely be listening to that. That sounds really great. Thanks, man. If you could give one piece of advice to aspiring audio engineers, what would it be? I get asked this question a lot. Um, typical gotcha audio guy question. Um, but you know what? There's an, I think it's changed in the last year. And I, have, I do have some, I used to feel like I didn't have something to say about this because like any advice you get from anyone is just like, you know, it's one person's perspective that doesn't know you. Um, but I think history has taught us that in times of crisis like this, history will favor those who are willing to take risks. And so my advice right now is while the earth is crumbling economically and structurally around the audio business, uh, take this time to be innovative, uh, be creative, take a risk, you know, get a loan, do something daring. Um, your interest rates are rock bottom. Now you can do things you couldn't do five years ago. Um, those who innovate and think big will get in on the ground floor of something that's going to be monumental by the end of their careers. And, uh, and, and just, yeah, go big is my advice and, and take risks. Audio, there's no way to play it safe and do great things in audio, I, I don't think. I think everybody gets to the point where they have to jump uh, out of the, the life raft and swim a little bit for their lives. And it's a healthy part of growth and um, I deal mostly with, with, with young people and my, my students in my classes, and we talk about this all the time. Uh, but I think it's even true for those who've been out and doing this for a long time right now. A lot of people are telling me their, their business is as good as it's ever been. Uh, but that doesn't mean we want to be complacent. And uh, even even and, I, and I'm practicing what I preach. I'm taking risks now, too. I, I'm about to jump into an Atmos rig from my space and... Uh, invest in a you know, 7.1.4 system and, and start diving into Atmos and immersive mixing, because I think that's going to be the future. And uh, if I'm wrong, I'd rather be one of the people that people ask, why did it go wrong? And have a good answer. To. This is the time to, to go big and take those sorts of risks and do those sorts of things that you're curious about. Totally. Yeah, I think that's great advice. So where can people check your stuff out? Um, how can people support you? Yeah, you, you can... Uh, Check out my website, audiogabriel.com. Uh, you can uh, support students in your area. If you've got a school in your area, find some students and support them if you're an audio professional. Um, that's how you support me because that's what I do. And I think more young people have to be brought into this idea that, that audio is a, is a career for them, that, that there is a way to make a living at it. And even if it's not making a living, there's a way it can make your life more full. And it's worth pursuing. Uh, and I, I think that's a wonderful way to support educators everywhere is to be mindful that somebody young is coming up and uh, they're going to need all the help they can get. And being there and being part of that, that community is, is a great way to support. And yeah, uh, when things are better and we're all able to get together and, and see each other again, come to an AES conference and hit me up and, and email me and we'll get, a, we'll get a, a chili dog and talk audio. Nice. Cool. Well, is there anything that you'd like to say while you're, while you're here? I just want to say thanks for having me. Uh, really great to talk about audio uh, anytime. And uh, it's great to be on your podcast. And I wish you the best of luck with it. Cool. Thanks, Gabe. It's thanks, nice John. talking with you. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening. I really hope that you got something out of it. Check back on the first of each month for new episodes.